Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Eli James here. This is Eurofolk Radio, the voice of Christian Israel, November 6th, 2022. And today we're going to be discussing the career of General Smuts, who, as we found out from this morning's show on the on the book about how the Jews have masterminded virtually every revolution and war against Christian Israel and, of course, white European nations ever since the Napoleonic Wars. And that, of, that book, of course, is The Nameless War by Archibald uh, Lease. So, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I get Arnold Lease and Archibald confused all the time. Anyway, uh, so that, as it turns out, is an extremely important book. And so we're going to pick up on a footnote that uh, Archibald puts in his book about General Smuts being a, a Zionist agent and a very important figure for the creation of Zionism. So a good day, Pastor Martins. And uh, yeah, I'm sure you're very familiar with the career of General Smuts. How are you today? Good evening, Pastor Eli. Yes, I'm keeping well, thanks. Um, I trust that uh, uh, everybody can hear us loud and clear across the globe. And uh, a very important, I think, a very important discussion tonight that we have on Jan Smuts, the true identity of Jan Smuts. Yes, okay, because uh, most of us outside of South Africa uh, envision Smuts as a boar, and that he would be somewhat, uh, you know, in defense of the Boer people and or South Africa in general. But uh, the information that uh, I've come across since doing the, the morning show is that uh, Jan Smuts is, in fact, an ardent Zionist, uh, which I, I had never suspected. And I put the link in the chat room here. Uh, from the Jewish Telegraph Agency, General Smuts, former South African premier, praises Zionist leaders. And I'm just going to quote one paragraph here in the middle of the article. Quote, this is Smuts speaking, I remember the travail and labor that was required to secure the formula of the national home, which is, of course, Palestine for the Jews, which is far more than a formula. It will stand out in the years to come as one of the great causes and one of the principal achievements of the Great War. Okay, well, he's obviously referring to World War One, And so you have information that General Smuts was not only an ardent Zionist in South Africa, but that he also was one of the principal architects of and for the creation of the Zionist state. So why don't you give us a little background uh, about General Smuts? Because I know he fought in the what the second uh, war between Britain and the and the Boer people. Over to you. Well, stay yes, um, Jans. I'm getting a lot of feedback, but I'll continue. Um, yes, I would presume it will. Uh, fathom out further on. Yes. Um, to give you an idea as to the extent of my investigations and searches on the key words which was given to me by the angel in regard to Jan Smuts in person. Huh. I'm sitting with 
856 items, books, um, um, abstracts, uh, thesis, uh, university doctorate thesis on uh, the person of Jan Smuts. Really? So 856. The extent of. <laughs> okay. And that is, that is not, that is just um, books and textbooks. And uh, for example, I'm sitting with a book that was written by Jan Smuts himself. And this is a very important uh, or of great significance, this particular book, uh, which I'm going to read just the front cover for you. Okay. It is called, it is called, on the front cover, it is a book that is marked in red. Now, one must realize that when a book is marked in red, the possibility that it promotes communism is great. Right. It is, it is called, the book is called Wartime Speeches by Lieutenant General the Right Honorable J.C. Smuts. Okay. P.C. I'm not sure what the P.C. stands for. The K.C. and M.L.A. Uh-huh. The speeches, now this is, this is on the front cover of the book. The speeches all deal either with our war aims or the British Empire or the future government of the world. Uh-huh. These three subjects are, in my mind, closely related. Oh, sure. And rest on the same basis of ideas. Whatever the causes and origins of the war, the continuous increasing pressure of this vast calamity on the human spirit has pushed to the front the basic ideas on which our Western civilization rests and is silently bringing about a far-reaching change in our political and social outlook. Uh-huh. And that was published in New York by the George H. Duran Company. All right. And that was published in MCMXV. Um, it it seemed, seems like it was 1917. Yes. That this book was published. Okay. So, but, but the, in this statement that he makes, which I just quoted from, uh, let me just stand, uh, repeat the second sentence here. That is, it will, the, the national home movement of the Zionists, it will stand out in the years to come as one of the great causes and one of the principal achievements of the Great War. Now, I don't think any historian or but, but most politicians had any idea that the, the creation of a Jewish state in Palestine was an aim of the Great War. Yes. Okay. But in his mind, it was. What's going on here? Well, pa- yeah, go ahead. Possibly, if, if I can perhaps just draw a bit of a timeline in the life of um, Jan Smuts. Okay. Now I'm, um, I'm not going all the way back to his ancestors or his uh, pre, uh, his pre, um, pregenitors uh, arriving in the Cape. That is um, beyond the scope of this particular discussion. Yeah. But he was raised, he was born and raised in um, the Western Cape, um, and he was 
sent by his father to the um, the um, what is currently known as the University of Stellenbosch, okay. which also happens to be the domain of the Africana Mafia. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yep. He was sent by his father to be trained as a Dutch Reformed minister. Oh, my goodness. Does that yeah. <laughs> bring some clarity? So the Africana... during his... The Afrikaner Mafia during his, would also be the Freemasons, somewhere too. During, Go ahead. Well, somewhere during his studies, he decided he no longer wanted to study Christian theology. So he had better ideas than that. Now, one must also remember that he was a Freemason. So one of his principles was uh, that of a universalistic or universalism. He was, um, he studied in, as if, if I can remember in, uh, well, let me, let me read it off here. Okay. He's, he was born on the 5th of September. Uh, sorry, sorry. Let me just get back to the information. Um, he was born on the 24th of May, 1870, and he died on the 11th of September, 1950. He is given as a South African statesman, but most people think that he was a Boer commander or Boer general during the Anglo-Boer War, the Second Anglo-Boer War. But he was actually a, if I can call it, a politically pimped, um, Trojan horse. Okay. Because of his, because of his background as a, um, an attorney. He had an attorney business in the Cape and he was selected and appointed by none other than President Kruger. Okay. <laughs> as the minister. Now, you know, of my fondness for President Paul Kruger uh-huh. and his short-sightedness in terms of his spiritual uh, discernment. Yeah. Now, in August of 1881, just after the First Anglo-Boer War, the, um, President Kruger actually hosted a conference. And during that conference, a number of very unwise things right. were decided upon which was the direct cause of the downfall of the Boer republics. Okay. Now, during that August conference, the first thing that uh, that they did, the, the Dutch Reformed Church requested this particular con- uh, conference, which, of course, President Paul Kruger in his um, – in, in his idea that he was now the supreme commander of the most powerful and smallest nation on the earth after the, um, the, the way in which the Boers had command, commanded the first Anglo-Boer War and, of course, with the uh, fall of the chief commander of the British uh, empires or the British military forces at Majuba 
Okay. And we rode past Majuba when you were in, in South Africa. We actually traveled past Majuba. There wasn't much time to actually visit the mountain itself, but we passed by the mountain. Right. Yeah, I remember. Yes. If you can recall. And that was where um, a commander, Collie, um, met his fate uh, with the Boers. Now, one must also remember that at the onset of this first Anglo-Boer War, the Boers had just completed their um, their covenant with Yahweh. Uh And that was why within 10 weeks, the smallest nation and the youngest nation on the planet had overrun the British, the mightiest British empire at the time of, in in a power, in in a, um, the Boers, the Boers total, uh, what we called um, the the Boer commandos consisted of 22,000 men. Right. The British forces at the time counted 278,000 men. Yet within 10 weeks, the Boers had overrun the British on so many occasions that the British had actually, like someone had termed it, they ran back to Durban to um, to man the boats to return to England in such a hurry that they even left some of their field guns in the field from where they had run. Yes. Now, President Paul Kruger saw himself as this great commander of the smallest but most powerful uh, um, nation on the planet that uh, had beaten the most powerful empire. Okay. And, of course, with that, that he decided that he had higher authority than Father Yahweh himself. Right. So he started... He started doing things totally out of control and at the total command of or demand of the Jews that entertained President Paul Kruger. Right. These same Edomite Jews, the Talmudic Edomite Jews. And, uh, of course, that led to the the fact that um, Jan Smuts was appointed, even though he was just an attorney, he was recommended to pack up his business in the Cape and start an attorney's business in Pretoria or in Johannesburg. And, right. of course, then with Jan Smuts being a Freemason um, and so many of President Paul Kruger's best friends, home friends, being Jews, um, <laughs> Jews right. and Freemasons as well, recommended this very uh, dynamic young attorney that could also speak English as the minister of, in fact, he was called the States Advocate, the state advocate in Pretoria. And it was not by sheer coincidence that in that particular position, he was also the Boer Republic's Volksrat, that is the State Council's right. Minister of War. Wow. And it is not by coincidence that Jan Smuts was the one that drafted the ultimatum that expired on the 11th of October 
1899. So it was Jan Smuts was put in the right position at the right time with the right credentials and, of course, being a Freemason. He was then given the authority to write the ultimatum. In fact, I think I am of the opinion that the the ultimatum had already been pre-planned, knowing that the British would not stand down on this ultimatum. Okay. And to me, he did the declaration of the war, knowing that the outcome would be what they had planned. Right, right. And uh, the ultimatum was what? And, that... Uh, that the Boer people should give up their independence, or what did the ultimatum consist of? No. No, there was um, large contingents of British troops that had marched or had been had traveled from Durban. The, the, the ships brought them to Durban, and they marched and traveled by train from Durban to Newcastle, from where they started marching, on towards the Transvaal. Uh-huh. And the Boers were waiting, were lying in waiting for the British. Okay. And the ultimatum was given that the British had to withdraw their troops by the, I think it was by the 10th of October, which also happens to be President Paul Kruger's birthday. Okay. Right. Can you see the, right. can you see the, the, now, something that must be said at this point as well. Now, if President Paul Kruger was really in favor of the Boers, why was he being honored by the Edomite Cape Dutch Afrikaners after the state capture of the Boer Republics right. on the 31st of May 1910? Why was he given this tremendous honor of right. having his birthday <laughs> as, right. an, as a public holiday in the Right. Dutch Afrikaners version of the uh, to Union of South Africa. To celebrate the betrayal of the Boer people, obviously. Right. Okay. All right. I'm still. Now, remember uh, also that. Yeah, go ahead. Remember also that President. Remember also that President Paul Kruger um, left the sinking ship prior to the end of the war. Oh, boy. Can you believe it? <laughs> and he went with his billions, with his gold bullion, he got onto a vessel in Maputo or Lorenzo Marks, the, the uh, Portuguese state right next to South Africa, right next to the Transvaal. Right. And he was taken to Marseille in France. And of course, okay. he, he lived, he stayed in Switzerland. Till the end of his days, I think it was 1904. He yeah, died. he perished. Okay, all right. Okay, but Pastor, I'm okay. still I'm still unclear about the nature of this ultimatum. Was just this just posturing on the part of Smuts so that he would gain? You know, so apparently, the ultimatum was to tell the British troops to lay down their arms okay. and get out. Was this just posturing on his exactly. part? To gain favor among the Boers? Is that all it was? That was exactly what it was. He, okay. Remember, he was he was an outsider that became an insider okay. for the purpose of orchestrating the 
demise of the Boer republics from inside. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Okay. Smith, Go ahead. While the battle was still going on, while the battle was still going on, and the Boers were penetrating down towards Cape Town to take a siege of Cape Town, Jan Smuts decided that he would now rather go and negotiate for peace. Uh-huh. And that was why he drafted the peace negotiations of Vereniging. He drafted the peace agreement. Right. And every one of the those particular um, points of the peace agreement was based on the fact that the Boers would regain total control of their Boer republics right. for themselves under their governance. Yes. To give a time of cooling down. Yet they had already pre-planned the takeover, the, the state capture of the Boer republics by virtue of the unification under the demise or the under the guise of a so-called a customs union. Okay. Where with which or where in which the Boer republics would have a great financial benefit because of the transport of goods through the Boer republics from the Cape all the way to Cairo okay. by Cecil John Rhodes. All right, Rhodes. another, another uh, operative of the Rothschilds, Cecil John Rhodes. Okay, so this customs union, what, this was dangled before the Boer people? You know, okay, so whatever agreement comes out of this, you Boer people are going to make lots of money, right? Is, is exactly. That, okay. So how was how did this lead to the demise of the Boer republics? Just say again, Pastor. How did this uh, customs agreement lead to the demise of the Boer republics, their downfall? Pastor, the, the customs agreement was merely um, a way to get the Boers to the uh, to the negotiations table. Okay. However, there is a catch to that as well. I have mentioned that before that there were a total of 33 so-called representatives that were um, set up in Durban in what was called the Union Conference. Okay. And of those 33 persons, now remember that it comprised the, the grounds or the the um, land of the Boers in terms of the two Boer republics, which consisted of various wards, if I can call it that. Okay. In other words, subdivisions of the Boer republics yes. that Districts. was manned yeah. um, and controlled by uh, generals of the, the Boer generals. However, okay. Of out of that thirty-three representatives for the four uh, tracts of land, the that was the colony, the Cape Colony, the Natal Colony, the Boer Republic of Transvaal, and the Boer Republic of the Free States. Out of those thirty-three representatives, there were only two real Boers that represented the two Boer republics. All the others were, <laughs> for example, from the Cape, I think there were six or seven representatives from the Cape, including, I think it was a Mr. 
um, Merriman, who was the the chairman of this union, uh, the the delegation from the Cape. Okay. From the, the the colony of Natal, there was something like seven representatives, but from the Boer republics of the the two Boer republics. There were only two Boers. Wow. The others were stand-ins. Um, and and uh, there is, for example, the what was then known as the Outlanders. Some of the Outlanders were talking for and behalf of the Boer republics. Right. According to according to one of the high-ranking officials within the Boer Repu- within this delegation from the Cape was a, um, a man by the name of Francois Stephanus Malan, a ex um, or, or a um, descendant of the French Huguenots. Okay. And he wrote, one of the things was that during this, or the, at the onset of this uh, conference, they appointed three secretaries to take Minutes of what was being said and discussed. Right. Three secretaries. Now, here's the thing. Those three secretaries were two out of the Cape and one out of Natal. None from the Transvaal and none from the Free State. Okay. Also, it was decided, actually, it was a not just a decision, it was a a recommendation that was enforced that none of the minutes will be made public for the next 50 years. Okay. So the treachery could be discovered. Yes, go ahead. It was further decided that the delegates from the two Boer republics were taken outside of the meeting hall of this conference. Whilst public uh, speeches were being made in the hall, uh-huh. the Boer Republic's representatives were taken to an external hall where they were being briefed about the customs union. Right. Okay. While the, in the main conference hall, speeches were being made about the unification of the Boer Republics. All right. Into yeah. the into this union of South Africa. When the Boers were brought back into the main conference hall, they had to vote. They did not know what they voted for, what they believed to be voting for this customs union. They didn't realize they were voting for the unification of this union, illegal union of South Africa. Right. Okay. So so this union... Okay, go ahead. This was this was all being orchestrated amongst the Freemasons of the Afrikaners, these Cape Dutch Afrikaners, because the only two Freemasons that were within the the, the delegation from the Boer Republics was General Dallaray and General De Wet. Okay. Not so okay, Pastor. 
This was an orchestrated yeah. state capture of the Boer republics into an illegal union of South Africa run by the Cape Dutch Afrikaner, or rather the Edomite Cape Dutch Afrikaner Freemasons. Right. And that right. was it, what it was up to today. Yes, yes. Well, it's interesting that they had 33 representatives, <laughs> right? No. Yeah. The Here's the other thing. Okay. The other thing is the tables were uh, arranged into a diamond pattern. Okay. Now, if you, if you took the two branches of the diamond and you overlapped them, you would have the so-called David Star of Zion. Right. Yeah, and the Freemasonic symbol. Yeah, the Freemasonic symbol also consists yes. of a diamond with a square and compass. Yes, exactly. <laughs> all right. So you can oh. see it was all it was all orchestrated with the total demise, the total right. state capture of the Boer republics. Okay. And now one must also remember that the these. Second, well, both Boer Wars, or the Anglo-Boer Wars, it was actually orchestrated and by virtue of the uh, conspiracies that Cecil John Rhodes and Onse Jan Hofmeyer, this very mean and demonic creature called Onse <laughs> Jan Hofmeyer, okay. which was called by the, the Supreme Commander of the British Forces, Against the Boer, Boer War, I mean, against the Boers, uh, uh, Lord Kitchener called Onse Jan Hofmeyer the mole. Okay. Like one of those creepy crawlies that creeps right. under your grass. Yeah, a to snake. undermine your grass. Yeah, a viper. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Before you go on, let me just uh, tell you what this reminds me of. Cause number one, this is very similar to what happened at the Versailles Treaty, where according to all patriotic observers, the various nations that participated, of course, Germany was not represented because Germany was the country that was being punished by the Versailles Treaty, and it was controlled by Jews who were trying to foment a, a communist revolution in Germany at this time during the Weimar Republic. So yes. Germany was uh, essentially unrepresented, okay? So in exactly the same way, the Boer people were unrepresented except for these two uh, representatives who were in the dark. The whole thing was controlled by Jews, exactly. the Versailles Treaty, totally controlled by Jews. And the uh, the people of Europe really had no say in the, in the fortunes of their own countries. Back to you. Yes, Boston, now if... Uh, well, I've been subject to um, uh, a situation where I have been. Uh, yeah, you, you, you got enemies. You've made Thank you've made enemies. <laughs> All right. Go Sorry, ahead. I didn't get that, uh, Pastor. There's a bit of a hiccup on the network, but yeah, you've made a lot I of enemies. Taken, yes. Um, Go ahead. But. Exactly the same way the Edomites also held counsel against the Messiah and found him guilty. Right. Yes. In many cases prior to, to Pontius Pilate, they held counsel against him to find him guilty. 
The same thing happened to Paul. Yes. He was taken, they held counsel against Paul in his absence, found him to be guilty without him being able to defend himself. Yes, yes. This is the Edomite straight. Yes, they absolutely. They do this because they, they know the moment that they are confronted with the truth, their whole plan is revealed. Yes. And this has been going on through the ages. That is why the Edomites or how the Edomites had conspired against the two southern tribes or the two, two southern tribes, the house of Yehuda, against or, or with King Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Which yeah. led to the, um, the, the, the uh, uh, taking into, to, um, um, captivity. What do you call it? Into captivity. Babel. Yeah. Captivity. Captivity into Babel. Yeah. Exactly the same way the Edomites conspired with the king of the Assyrians to take the okay. 10 northern tribes into captivity into yeah. Assyria. Okay. Uh, let me inter- evidence of that. Yeah. Now, now also, getting back to Jan Smuts. This scenario is reminiscent of what happened to us here in America uh, under General George Washington and Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton was very valiant in battle on behalf of George Washington, but when the government was created, Alexander Hamilton turned out to be a great traitor because he was the one who was instrumental in getting the Jewish banks established here in America. So he was posturing as an American, just as Smuts was posturing as a boar, but then stabbed us in the back. Back to you. Yeah. Well, Pastor, that is the way the Edomites play their game. Yeah. That's how they play politics. That's how they play religion. That is how they play all their uh, um, games of of gain, uh, of right. banking, of usury. Okay. That's how they play it. So you said that Smuts drafted the agreement to be uh, employed against the Boer. Was he the one who drafted it, or was it somebody else? Uh, he drafted it, Pastor. Okay. He drafted it. Okay. So he gained favor with the Boer people by issuing this ultimatum against the British, which was simply staged for the benefit of the Boers to trust him from that point on. Yes. Okay. And then he stabbed them in the back by drafting this agreement, which totally destroyed the Boer republics. Uh, Pastor, because of his, um, his, his, the the way in which he, um, he he controlled the war. Uh To give you an idea, with the siege of Ladysmith, the Boers were lying right around the town of Ladysmith on, on the flat hills. There are many flat hills around Ladysmith. They were ready to take siege of Ladysmith in, uh, on the day before Christmas of 1891. Uh, sorry, 1890, uh, 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 eight, sorry, 1901. Right, 1901. Okay. In, on, on December morning, they, they, uh, sorry, Christmas morning, December 25th of that particular year, General Smuts called all the Boers together, the, the, and he said to them, they must lay their arms down. Huh. Um, he had a surprise for them. So they laid their arms down, and they were taken by truck 
into Ladysmith and for the whole of the Christmas day, they played cricket and rugby against the British whom they were fighting against. Wow. <laughs> they were holding, they were celebrating Christmas with the the very um, battle units that they were fighting against. The, in the afternoon, they went back to the, uh, to the, um, Positions around the, the positions around Ladysmith, and the next day the the battle again continued. Amazing! But this was the way in which the Boers had been led up the garden path by, um, yeah, Smuts. by the Minister of War. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, during World War One, there was an episode. I think maybe even in World War Two on a Christmas Day where the Germans and the British sang Christmas hymns. They took a break from battle and sang Christmas hymns. It actually came out from their positions and met each other in the middle, you know, because after all, they were both Christian nations, right? And then they went back to war after Christmas, right? But uh, this is uh, how in the world did Jan Smuts now achieve all this Without the complicity of, you know, well, you just said it was all, it was all the, uh, the Afrikaners and the Freemasons and, uh, and Jewish agents had to be responsible for all this. So wh- what about the Boer people? Uh, didn't they complain that they were unrepresented or were they in the dark about all this? Uh, Pastor, many of these things only became known afterwards. Okay. Um, General De La Rey, um, at this stage, he wanted to lash General Smuts with a whip because oh. General Smuts had actually given away the Boers' positions to the British. Okay. Wow. So he was an actual fact a traitor to the Boers through and through. Right, but he played a game with the Boers because of the, um, just because of the way the Boers are, they are extremely trusting people because they, um, they stand with what they say and they say with what they stand. Sure, they sure. trusted this creature. By the way, smuts also means pig. Right? <laughs> Did you know that? No, I didn't. That's interesting. But again, you're bringing up the Pharisees in the days of Yahshua is very uh, significant here because the fact is the Pharisees were primarily Edomites. A great percentage of them were Edomites. And they had the trust, however, of the Judahite people in Judea, as well, of course, the Edomites that were brought in under uh, John Hyrcanus to, uh, you know, accept uh, accept this uh, corrupt nation, you know, this corrupt union of Edomites and Judahites. But by the time that Yahshua walked the earth, the the Judahite people had forgotten about you know, the Edomites' control of Judea and uh, this a usurpation, actually, of Judah by Edomites. They had forgotten about this, uh, or, you know, their leaders simply ignored it, that these, that these Pharisees and the Sanhedrin were the worst enemy of the Judahite people, but the Judahite people simply weren't aware of it. They either forgotten about it or didn't know the extent of it. Back to you. Uh, Pastor, if one can, by comparison, 
um, look at the uh, day when when Yeshua had um, ridden on the back of an, an, an a donkey, a donkey right. in, into Jerusalem. There were thousands and thousands of people that actually waved their palm uh, right. leaves and they shouted Hosanna, etc. Exactly. Ten days later, by virtue of the fact that the Pharisees, these Edomite Pharisees, had contrived against Yeshua. Yes. They managed to gain the, the support or the, the confidence of the house of Je- Yehuda to the extent that they would shout, away with the Messiah, yeah. right. give us Jesus Barabbas. Right. Did you know Barabbas? Barabbas's name was also Jesus. Right, I knew that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, well, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. Jesus, Yeah, yeah, and so the and this is confirmed by Peter in the second chapter of Acts, in which the assembled Israelite men of Judah and elsewhere, he says, "You participated in the in the death of your own Messiah." That's, yes, what he, exactly. that's what he said to them, and they were cut to the heart because they didn't realize that they had been fooled by the Pharisees to such an extent. Well, there were Pharisees that were even believers. They had become believers for the sake of identity. Yeah, uh, politics. Identity, <laughs> identity theft. Yes, yes. I mean, that is what the hypocrite means when you're... When Yeshua called them hypocrites, he actually said to them, you identity thieves, you right? perpetrators of the deception. Yes. But our people are still too too honest and trusting to understand the nature of the beast. Exactly. Right? Our churches have failed to inform. You know, how many times did Yahshua have to say, beware of wolves in sheep's clothing before the Christian yes. will understand? Right? This is, this is our demise, as Bram said in, in the chat area. You know, our demise is our trusting nature. And we, didn't Jesus say, be therefore wise as serpents? Yet gentle as doves? Well, did he not call the Pharisees um, the uh, seed of the viper? Uh, Which basically boils down to the the, the sperm. um, Right? The The genetic offspring. Yeah. Of Nachash. Exactly. That's exactly what he meant. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Okay, so getting and back also to he, go ahead. He said that they were. He, he called them liars that lied just as their father, the father of lies, the, yeah. uh, lies and deceives. Yeah, right. The devil, <laughs> which, which means that, which means that, by virtue of the very fact that he called them uh, the seed of the viper, basically it boils down to the fact that. If they were Edomites, the descendants of Esau, Esau was then conceived of by Satan. Right. And that is exactly why Yahweh said that he hated Esau. Yes. And of course, his whole bloodline. Sure. 
Yeah, uh, so uh, so General Smuts continues in this statement to the Zionists, which uh, I will quote again here. In the war cabinet, it was discussed many a week, many a month, and there was a great struggle of ideas centering around this principle, a struggle in which opposition came from two sides. One side was the people who argued, why should we declare in favor of the national home? And I think he's talking, speaking for Jews in Britain here. Why should we go against Arabs? Why antagonize the Mohammedans? Great Britain is a great power over the Mohammedan races. Why then should we espouse the cause of the Jews? Then we had the opposition from some of the Jews themselves, he says. Why a national home in Palestine, they argued. We are happy in London. What will become of our status in London, New York, and Johannesburg if this formula of a national home in Palestine is accepted? So he clearly admits here that there was no quorum among the Jews or, or Brits that any of this should happen. The Zionist state. Yeah. So however, he understood. Yeah. <laughs> okay. However. <laughs> yes. Here's another one. During the 1800s, the Jews were planning on actually obtaining land in Central Africa as the Jewish homeland. Right. But yeah. they, they decided against it by using the front of or the, the deception that they would now call themselves the Israelites. Uh-huh. And then lay charge again of the the home of the the true Israelites or the Yasherelites. Uh, oh, this was another. Right. Uh, actually, you and I should spend some some um, time after the show. We should spend a few minutes to uh, yeah. talking, Pastor. Sure. I've got more revelations to actually share with you. Once you know about this. Oh, yeah. Know, so well, that was. Will open up to you. Was that Kenya, Namibia? I forget which country that was. I know that the Zionists were talking about that. But here, actually, he addresses this. Yeah, that was. Go ahead. That was in the Burundi or Republic of um, the Congo. Congo, okay. For Republic of Congo. Yeah, yeah. And so he continues Those who remember the formula of the national home will remember how both these lines of opposition were smitten because the formula of the national home was declared in favor of Palestine, and that formula tries to save the face of the Mohammedan world and other nationalities living in Palestine. Well, yeah, if that's... So it's only a face-saving argument, because the Balfour Declaration states very clearly that the rights of the Palestinians and other Arabs in the area will not be uh, prejudiced. But it absolutely was. I mean, that's yeah. another Jewish lie. Back to you. Uh, not just prejudice, it was not to be compromised. Right. And of yeah, course, yeah. that was exactly what it was all about, this, the, the state capture of the country of the Palestinians. Yes. Yeah. So it's absolute treachery. And you probably recall that Lawrence of Arabia, who was fighting on the side of the Palestinian Arabs, was absolutely disgusted with this betrayal because he was fighting under the assumption yes. that Palestine would go back to the Arabs after World War One, and of course the Zionists undercut that entire deal. And he was so disgusted that he went on a speaking tour to denounce his own government and the Jews. 
That was left out of the movie, folks. <laughs> Go ahead. The underhandedness. The underhandedness of the Jews. Yes. Yeah, amazing. Okay, so how, now from here, from this betrayal of the Boer people, uh, apparently Smuts was elevated to the position of a, a spokesman for the Zionists at the Paris Peace Conference? Exactly. Okay, wow. Now, Paul said this, this also serves as an evidence that so many of the Edomite, or rather so many of the Cape Dutch Afrikaners are in fact Edomite Jews. Right. Either Sephardic Jews or Kazarian Jews or Ashkenazi Jews. Yes. This is the reality. But it is a hidden, it has been hidden from the the face of the planet. It has been hidden. And the evidence of that being hidden is also found in the archives of the Dutch East Indian Company. If you go and search for the records of those people that were to become Boers, right. the evidence of that is given as it cannot be found. It has been mislaid, or sure, uh, but it's not available in the Cape. It's not available in the archives of the Dutch East Indian Company in Amsterdam. And it's not available in the – it cannot be found in the archives of the Dutch East Indian Company in The Hague either. Right. Now, is it is it of sheer coincidence that in all three the archives of the Dutch East Indian Company in three different parts of the world, in three different locations in the world, the same information has gone Yeah, disappeared. Missing? Disappeared. Right. Whilst whilst the other information of all the other people that came to the Cape, like the the French Huguenots, like the the Boers, um, yeah, the The Indians. No, not the Boers. No, the the information on the Boers has gone missing. Also, the the information on the on the Dutch East Indian Company's uh, members and. uh, employees and the administrators and the governors, etc. All that information is readily available. Right. But the information on the Boers uh, um, uh, progenitors arriving in the Cape has gone missing. Right. Now, isn't it the case that I, I think I recall you saying something about either India or China, but probably India, where a book has surfaced explaining all of this treachery uh, regarding the Dutch East India and British East India companies. That, uh, oh, rev- Pastor, it's not just a book. Okay. It's books. All right. Multiple books that, that I have located, even as far afield as Jakarta and Indonesia, in oh. Bali, Indonesia, in, okay. in Vietnam, in, um, in China, and, right. and uh, in Malaysia. Right. Where the the atrocities, where the atrocities of the Dutch Reformed Church are are given out in in the history of these countries openly. Right. And they even relate to the fact that South Africa was the only country in the world where Calvinism has remained and gained the power of the state after yeah. the demise of the Dutch East Indian Company. Okay. And that the, the and even stating that the Boers 
were subjected to the same atrocities that the yes. people of Indonesia and Bali and the yeah. more than 14,000 islands of which the um, Indonesian country exists. Yeah, and also India and China, you know, uh, under the uh, opium wars, right? That, exactly. that was that was done by the well, the relatives of the Cape Dutch Afrikaners, you know, the international Jew, yeah. right? Yeah, and so all yes. this treachery is going on all over the world. We know who we in identity know who the perpetrators are. But they have such a total grip on the flow of information, the Rothschilds control Reuters, and probably, what's the other yes. news service? They, they control all the news services, they control all the major newspapers, television, radio, etc. that this type of information that you and I are discussing today is just not available to people anywhere. Well, Pastor, I've been saying for the past eight years that... Um, if, if one looks at the facts as we have it today, the fact that we are under a black government is actually a blessing to the Boers. <laughs> okay. Because if, if I had, if I had the information 30 years ago of what I have today, the same information, I would have been arrested and jailed most probably about 30 or 40 times since. <laughs> right. I would okay. have spent more time in jail because of the fact that I'm exposing the Edomite Cape Dutch Afrikaners right. for being the, the the greatest enemy of the Boers right. and the Boers' yes. uh, progenitors. Understood. I think uh, just to comment real quickly here, obviously the blacks of South Africa don't care about Jews versus Boers or Jews versus Afrikaners, and they could care less. All those blacks are interested in is getting their freebies from the government. That's all they really care about. All right? Yeah. Well, Pastor, the, the, the interesting thing is this. If we look at the those um, the, the writers of the laws that want to take away our guns, those laws are written by Edomite Cape Dutch Afrikaners right. by virtue of the surnames that they present. Okay. The higher, the higher authorities in the South African police that write the memorandums for the confiscation of firearms are Edomite Cape Dutch Afrikaners, okay. not blacks. Right. It, the blacks are merely a front. Yes. A... Um, a, a how can I say pawns yes. in the game? Yeah. If, if you look at, for example, in in just in this past month, we've had we've had a situation where a major uh, pharmacy chain called Diskem had um, announced that they would no longer appoint whites at all. Whites oh. will no longer be appointed within Diskem. Because of black economic empowerment, right? Um, Racial discrimination. They, they, yes, exactly. Yes. So the whites started discriminating against Diskem. Oh, and then it protesting. They stopped buying from Diskem faster. You must see the photographs where Diskem, the the chemist chain, the in large shopping yes. malls. Yes. Are the the, the it's totally empty. Where in the past it used to be flooded with people. Yes. It's totally empty. The, yeah, the, boycott. All the goods and wares. 
We need to boycott. boycott. Amen. We need to but do they, more boycotting. We outnumber the Jews a uh, thousand to one. All, all we need to do is boycott their businesses. Back to you. But then Diskem disclosed they actually um, put down a uh, put out a, a press conference where in which they announced that this decision of theirs was based on announcement by the South African Institute of Race Relations. Huh. Okay. The law making the yeah. law making body of the the well yeah. not the government of the Rothschilds. Right. <laughs> because the South African Institute of Race Relations is the lawmaker in the country. Okay. And the person who actually rolled out this particular instruction to Diskem was none other than the Edomite Cape Dutch Afrikaner. Right. Yeah. So that's your version of the NAACP or the American Israel PAC, right, where the Jews uh, behind the scenes control all of our politics, Democratic and Republican. Right. But you have one major party, and that is the Cape Dutch Afrikaners. <laughs> They're the ones who run the show. And for us, it's the, I call yes, them the, the, the rhinocrats, the Republicans in name only and the Democrats. Yes. They're both controlled by the Jews. All right, Pastor, we have less than two minutes. Less than two minutes. Uh, maybe you could wrap this up for We'll pick this up again next week. Right in the beginning of this show, Pastor, I mentioned about the um, the uh, University of Stellenbosch in the Cape, which is also the seat of the Cape Dutch Afrikaner Mafia. Okay. Now, the leader of this mafia is a Johan um, Rupert. Oh, a Rupert. That's the surname Rupert. Yeah, it sure does. It sure does. Yeah, another traitor. Right. On an occasion, he actually stated that if Cyril Ramaphosa, the president of South Africa, or the appointed president, or this yes. form that has given the, uh, has been given this particular role to fulfill, yes, if he doesn't shape up, Johan Rupert stated that he will actually fire him. Right. So the president exactly. of the, the country can be fired by a subject. Right, the, the country. Yeah, you must know how deep these, yeah. the deep state in South Africa oh, is. Oh yeah, well it's, it's just as deep here in America and everywhere around the world. You know, there's no, there's no. Exactly. People are be finally becoming aware of all this Jewish treachery, and we need to start boycotting their businesses. That that that's what because that's yeah, the only thing they understand is if we can make them hurt economically, they won't be treating us like this again. All right, we have run out of time. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor Martins. We'll pick this up again next week. Okay. Yes, excellent, Pastor. I'll All pass right. you some information on the unsmuts. Okay, bless, very, praise Yahweh. Yeah, praise Yahweh. Thanks for listening, folks. Take care, everybody. Be safe and don't believe Jewish lies ever again. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Pastor. Bye.